League in Division Two. In the game broadcast here on ON Radio earlier today, the Villanovans beat Mount Pleasant by a score of 28 to nothing. Now coming up, of course, we have the uh, Paranormal Show, which was postponed from noontime. That's the Behind the Paranormal with pa- Paul and Ben Eno. That's coming up here at 3 o'clock. And then at 4 o'clock, right after the Paranormal Show, we'll go back out to Cranston Stadium and listen in as the North Smithfield Mount St. Charles Co-op take on Tiverton for their Divisional High School Football Championship. All right here on ON, AM, and FM. Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. How do you keep a parasite from becoming a poltergeist? If exorcism isn't good enough to deal with a case of possession, where do you turn? And isn't this a surprise? We're on at 3 p.m. instead of noon. But don't love it too much. Next week we'll be back at our noon slot here on WON 1240 AM and 99.5 FM. And on that note, welcome aboard to the 819th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I'm Ben, and those outlandish questions came from my co-host, partner in the paranormal, and dad, Paul. And uh, today we offer you an an unexpected open line show, as we were preempted by the Winsocket Villanovans, which congratulations to them. Um, Yeah, 28 to zip, not bad. Yeah, I know, right? (laughs) Sure. It's Tiverton in Rhode Island, yeah. Oh, yes. So, uh, anyway, so we have our, our favorite guest co-host with us today. That's uh, Shane Searway. So, today we welcome your calls. The uh, number is 401-766-1240 from anywhere, or email paul at behindtheparanormal.com, or contact us uh, via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. And again, everything's a little upside down today. Thanks for bearing with us uh, because of the sports coverage uh, here on WON. We're coming to you three hours after our usual slot and our scheduled guest was not able to be with us in any slot uh, because something came up for her, and we will try to reschedule her, uh, Maria D'Andrea, for a later date. So instead, we have an open line show with the man who was always our silver lining. And that is Shane Searway. So welcome welcome aboard, Shane. To yeah. your on-air home. Yeah. <laughs> Too bad the, um, the scheduled guest couldn't make it, but I'm glad I'm, I'm here. Yeah, you go. You're battling the uh, New Hampshire snows in order to get all the way down here. We terrible really weather it. on the way down here. Oh, is God. it actually snowing up there? Yeah, it was. Yeah, snowing mix in southern New Hampshire and raining really, really hard to Ooh. Massachusetts on my way down. But um, oh, wow. we, we we made it. The traffic was great considering. Um, That's probably because everyone is not not as as strong willed as you are <laughs> <laughs> to make it all the way down here. <laughs> all right. Well, let's begin. We, we have questions today going from this morning all the way back to 2012. So let's start with one from this morning, or actually yesterday. Uh, this is from, uh, this is a rather lengthy one, but, but uh, it's very, very clear. Uh, Doug in Texas. Alrighty. And if you would. So Doug writes to us. Greetings, gentlemen. Uh, I don't know if this qualifies as paranormal, but given your experiences in the paranormal meditation and Paul's studies in psychology, I was wondering if you might provide some sort of answer. Uh, when I was about six years old, I was in my backyard contemplating my own consciousness, existence, and the meaning of life, as you know most uh, six-year-olds do. <laughs> yeah. uh, while, while doing so, I had a rather disconcerting experience. It felt as if my mind was expanding beyond my body and even beyond our backyard almost as if I were growing very large. While this was occurring, uh, I seemed to lose my sense of identity for a brief moment, 
the best way I can describe entering this altered state of consciousness is to compare it uh, to the feeling one gets after awakening from a vivid dream. While dreaming, you believe that uh, the dream is uh, your everyday life. Upon waking, you realize that your real life, whatever that uh, may mean, is where you are lying in bed, having just awoken from the dream. Uh, it was like I had suddenly gained consciousness. Being only six years old, I quickly recoiled from this and brought myself back to reality as I knew it. Also, I can't be certain uh, there may have been other, or some others, some other being present while this was occurring. I don't think he slash she or even they were malevolent, just observing in a in neutral manner. So I guess my question is this. What is paranormal, uh, a product of uh, some form of meditation, or did I temporarily go bonkers for a moment? <laughs> Thanks, guys, and keep up the good work. All right, don't forget, uh, what's the matter with the video? Uh, oh, no, it's up there. Oh, it is? Yeah. Okay, uh, well, you're the producer. You, that's All right. Yeah, that's what's... Don't don't worry. Okay, all right. All right. You know, I'm a, a father hen. Uh, all right, so... Um, Shane, what, what do you think about this? Well, it's, it's funny he described something that um, basically what he described when I right before I had a near death experience when I was ten, or every it's happened several times. But um, that state that he gets into, feeling like he's expanding and growing, mm. um, it's exactly how I felt during those times, um, where I also would receive messages and, and um, information on how to help people going forward in, in my life and. Things that you know you don't hear from other other investigators. It was information that was gifted to me. But pr- prior to that was that feeling of becoming expanding and becoming part of everything, merging with everything and all the energies around me, and and almost like I could feel and and I had the, I could hear the thoughts of everyone in the in the, all around me. I could just it was strange. So. But basically, uh, right now too, if I if I get put into a situation where I have to read deeper in, in where we don't have all all the information that we need to kind of um, diagnose a, a, a case, you know, where they have a disturbance going on, I will sometimes put myself into that state where I I will expand myself and, and try and I can sense everything around me, everyone around me. But the problem with doing that is I end up zapping the people that are around me. Um, and they they end up getting really worn down. Um, so I'm going to move to the other side of the I don't do it broadcast often. booth here. Oh, okay. Oh. Okay. Sure. Cool. Thank you. But um, yeah, so I know exactly what he's he's talking about because um, I've, I've experienced it throughout my life. Wow. Ben, you know I think it's it's kind of interesting how how he he put it as if it's it's like a like a waking dream almost. I I get it. I have a hard time articulating it, so I think he did a really good job in in explaining it because it's 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 super strange, right? So I, I was actually thinking about this on the way over because I've 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 been having a lot of I, I always have a lot of trouble sleeping. I'm, I, as I've gotten older, weirdly, I've become a lighter sleeper. I don't I don't know how that happens. You'd think it would be the opposite. Hmm. So I end up I end up waking up a lot. Mostly because I have I have two cats that constantly jump all over us. So it's <laughs> so really it's it's a self imposed punishment. But anyway, um, so I've I've noticed that as as I've I've been sort of kind of keeping track of everything. I was like, you know, I should really keep a dream journal, and I'm, I'm you'll see where I'm going with this because as as I've been kind of paying more attention to them and really doing my best to remember them, I've found that they've changed a lot, and I'm wondering if how how as as a six year old 
you know, kind of like being the the un, unformed rock, as it were, as, as Lao Tzu, I believe, would call it, sort of the un, the unchanged block or whatever. Um, basically, ret- you know, your your mind isn't formed in a certain way yet. You don't have you know preconceived notions about stuff yet. That perhaps this sort of idea of okay, you know, let's let's take a look at my surroundings and really see what's going on here. And not, you know, have some sort of assumptions about what's around you. You know, as a six-year-old, you don't look at a tree and say, oh, okay, well, you know, that's a tree over there. Trees are made of this. They do this. They prov- they provide us oxygen. You see a tree and you're like, oh, yeah, a tree, cool. <laughs> like, you know, you don't look at rocks and, and say, all right, this rock, you know, considering we're in New England and most of, of the northern portion of, of North America is, you know, mostly – mostly minerals and stuff dropped off by glaciers and stuff. You don't look at a boulder in the woods and say, oh, well, you know, that boulder came from a glacier. That's really cool. As a kid, you're like, oh, cool. It's a boulder. It's a Can rock. climate, you know. Yeah, exactly. You know, you don't you, you don't really read into things. You think of things simply. And perhaps we lose that the older we get. And the more we take time to stop and look at stuff, perhaps that's really, really what the, the moral of the story is here. Yeah, perhaps. Uh, yeah, it's, it's very interesting. Uh, unlike you fellows, I, I really have not had too many experiences like that. I've had a lot of really in, amazing dreams while sleeping. Uh, there are one or two, ex- there are a couple of exceptions to that. One is communication held during meditation that I never wanted to talk about or write about before, but they're in my new book that came out uh, a few months ago, um, Dancing Past the Graveyard. But, uh, uh, also, uh, probably the closest thing I came was, I suppose uh, you'd call it a waking near-death experience, I guess. It was back, Ben was, you were like, what, two or something uh, many years ago. <clears throat> I was very ill, didn't realize that I had pneumonia and I was in, uh, my heart was fibrillating. I drove myself to the hospital. But before I left to do that, um, I um, had a waking kind of a, a vision colors i had never seen before and like a cave with like this huge like a lizard a very nice lizard <laughs> uh sort of sitting in the entrance to this and uh yeah i'm not big on lizards i don't you know mind it but i wouldn't go out of my way to say and uh, the colors were just i i cannot describe them and then i kind of and then something like slapped my face and and i could almost hear like go to the hospital stupid you know, and, and people often say that that's, that's kind of the way female d- deity or even maybe for a Christian might say the Virgin Mary, somebody m- might actually ever re- react to your situation. I don't know what it was. So I went to the hospital and I was there for like, gosh, eight, nine days for heaven's sake. And, uh, okay, so anyway, so a very interesting. Thank you very much, Doug, for writing that. And we have a, a caller, and uh, I believe this is a Rick from San Francisco, is it? Rick, welcome, uh, welcome back to the show. Well, thank you, thank you. Interesting show today. I like, I like where it's going so far. But I'm calling in because um, I have a case and I, I'd love some help with it. Get, get your thoughts. Um, and let me just lay the background to it and uh, then tell you what happened. It happened on uh, October 26th of this year, and there was a, um, a group of people having a barbecue in Salida, California. And it was about 10.45 at night, and they were looking to the southeast. And what happened was uh, the wife started seeing, uh, like, an orb object in the sky, and she was kind of transfixed with it. So she was looking at it, 
and really not saying it, just staring at it kind of disbelief. And then about a minute later, her husband saw it and started taking a, taking some video of it. Um, and that went on for about another minute. And what the object did, it was an orb. It was probably about a mile out um, or, or less. And as it was traveling, it had a, it had a course. It seemed to be undulating or pulsing as it was as it was moving forward, and then all of a sudden it just disappears. Then, about five minutes later, um, uh, everybody's in the, uh, starting to move inside. The husband stays in the backyard, and all of a sudden, a, a, a winged craft, a large winged craft, um, that he couldn't really discern. He just did it from the blocking out of the stars, so it, it looked almost like a triangle or a V. Uh, passed directly over his house. Hmm. Then the next couple of days, uh, a few things happened to them. One, um, a couple of people suffered vertigo that week uh, who hadn't suffered vertigo before, given its allergy season, but they're not typical vertigo sufferers, to the point where they went to the doctors. And then also uh, everyone in the group just was zapped of energy, just totally down. It actually took the wife almost another week to recover, and she had a headache every single day until um, until about uh, I want to say last Thursday or so, whenever it was, the headache finally abated. So, so I've got this situation where I have an orb that disappears. This giant uh, craft seems to pass overhead, and then there's some ill effects to to these uh, to these people. Any ideas? What could be going on here? I will say this. It's got a lot of military bases in the area. There's about 16 in Northern California, and they're smack dab in the middle. And um, uh, it's, it's, it's kind of an, uh, an area that's uh, unique in terms of, like, there's a lot of activity that goes on. Yeah. But never have I heard anything like that. All right, I'll, I'll give the fellows a chance to respond, but uh, let me just say, and Rick is a show reporter. We have reporters all over the world that, that we've built up over the, over the many years we've been on the air, and uh, very, very helpful, and we do appreciate these reports. Uh, Rick, do you think you could uh, prevail upon them? Do you know them? Uh, just just uh, because I'm on their case. That I don't know them personally. Okay. I wondered if um, they could be prevailed upon to go to our website and fill out the questionnaire. Uh, there's a link on top of the website, that, uh, all the pages that says "Report and Experience," and uh, anyone is invited to do that. And uh, that that would give us a lot of uh, data that might be helpful to you, certainly investigating and just for, for the record in general. So, um, if there's any opportunity to do that, or if you could get contact information, we could ask them or, or whatever. But this, this is your domain out there, so uh, if you could do that, that'd be great. But so let me. Um, uh, give the fellows a chance to respond uh, to that. Uh, I'll, I'll just start by saying that the initial light seen in the sky, uh, it's, it's possible, even with the pulsing, and that was all white light? Yeah, it was like a white. Yeah, all right. And then it felt like orange, yeah, white. Oh, orange, all right, well, that's weird. Cause I'm thinking well, of, well it, you've got, they reported it as kind of white, but, but, in the in the video, it comes across kind of uh, oh, okay. like an orange. All right, because I haven't seen the video. But uh, very often when you have uh, landing lights on a small aircraft or even a large aircraft, uh, it'll be it'll, look, it'll go off uh, if they're using like ILR or something, and, and it'll look like it disappears from a distance. But the, the, uh, the larger object blocking out the stars is really something very interesting. Shane, what do you, what do you say? 
Yeah, I mean, I'm more concerned with the symptoms that they, they're experiencing. Mm. Um, but we know electromagnetic fields can create those symptoms. Um, you know, the, all of them, all of them in that, the headaches, the vertigo, um, also vibrational frequencies that might be emitted from these crafts could, um, can cause the same symptoms. Um, and, and hopefully not a radiation, but, but um, I think more so like an EMF or vibrational type frequency. Um, and then I had one more thing to throw at that. Um, and it slipped my mind, but I'll jump back in. But, um, All right. Yeah, go ahead. All right, Ben? Sure. So I've really been thinking a lot about orbs lately, and I'm, I'm going to explain why. The more that people have been reporting them, the less I've thought of them as creatures. And here's where I'm going with this. Every time there's some sort of major paranormal event, you know, whatever it is, Bigfoot appears, right? You know, people will see lights in the sky. What's the difference between a light in the sky and an orb? This is an open <laughs> yeah. question. This, is, is, this yeah. is a question to the floor. It's there's not not much, right? It's 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 how how we a- approach it. Yeah. So people people have come up to me at various conferences and they're like, oh yeah, I got I got a picture with a lot of orbs here. I don't know why they're from the Midwest, but for some <laughs> reason they are. And I'm like, oh well, cool, that's awesome. Um, I mean, what do you like? Oh well, what do you think it is? I think it's you know dead people that live there at one point in time. I think it's creatures. I'm like, I don't... I, I'm, I'm slowly starting to come to the conclusion that they're more of a byproduct of the phenomena. Now, I say this because typically if orbs are acting on their own, you know, oh, maybe they're creatures that sort of hang around world boundaries, but I'm thinking more of these major events. There's always some sort of runoff, right? Some sort of byproduct, that's that sort of appears in any sort of major chemical reaction, right? So, you know, you combine oil and, you know, a couple other chemicals, borax, whatever, boom, you get soap. You know, but the byproduct of soap is you have a bunch of extra oil if if you don't manage to get tallows together. There's always some sort of byproduct whenever you have a reaction of any kind. So perhaps the byproduct of a major paranormal event would be having these sort of physical balls of light, whether it's electrified air molecules creating plasma that kind of appear and then disappear, because it would make sense that, you know, if you light something on fire, it doesn't stay on fire forever, right? So that's kind of the analogy I'm working with here. So if those air molecules are electrified for a short period of time, it would make sense that you would see some sort of visual anomaly before it eventually either moves away, disappears, whatever, because I can't calculate the density of it because we have no idea what it is. So where I'm going with this is this. So I agree with Sheen. Um, I believe that the electromagnetic phenomena that appears, it can have a lot of effects, some of which are actually weirdly similar to radiation. Right. And it's and it's it's really fascinating how each one of these these sort of bigger events that affect a large number of people you know, you will see, you know, those lights, those ubiquitous lights in the sky before something happens, right? And the more that it's been reported, the more I'm coming to the conclusion that, okay, maybe these aren't just, you know, little living creatures. Perhaps it's a byproduct of whatever reaction occurs. Or maybe the byproduct's a living thing. Who knows? And I think it's interesting that the the bigger, the more complex the orb, we'll call it for now, is the more dramatic effects happen to everybody else, right? 
So whenever any of us is involved in any sort of event that's that has has to do with a lot of electromagnetic activity, you know, we get, end up getting a little sick, drained, whatever. But imagine something like this: how sick we would feel <laughs> after that. Yeah, yeah. Something to this magnitude, where there's literally an object that blots out the sky. Rich, how many people were involved? In the, is, is he still with us? Okay. Uh, we we hear we hear activity. Rick, could you speak closer to the phone? Uh, yeah. Can you hear me? Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I was just asking. Uh, Shane's got a point, but I was just asking how many people were involved in this sighting. Uh, six people were involved. Six people. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Rings a bell, doesn't it, fellas? Yeah, uh, yeah. Pennsylvania. Yeah. <laughs> Shane, uh, go ahead. Yeah. So I was going to also say um, it, it's also speculated that some of these craft, you know, if they're UFO or you know not of here or whatever, or maybe we have those too, but um, in order to move through um, the sky or whatever, or wherever they're moving through, they they have to distort space time, and it, it's like dropping a bowling ball or putting a bowling ball onto a mattress and then. Three feet away from the mattress, pushing down the mattress, the bone ball will roll towards you, and and so it's speculated that that's how these craft move. So that could certainly have an effect on oh, Bob Schrodinger's theory with uh, KK gravitons and all that stuff. Yeah, this, yeah. It, it's, it, there's different versions of it, but yeah, basically, and so um, that could certainly have an effect on people being around. But with the orbs too, like Ben was saying, they they show up with Bigfoot, they show up with UFO sightings. You know, they they show up. Um, well, we we were seeing orbs before we we had that big yeah. that UFO yeah. sighting in Pennsylvania, and um, we're not even sure what that big light mass was that that disc came out of. Mm-hmm. You know, that could have been a, a distortion in space time that allowed this thing to move into our our atmosphere. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> yeah. So, but you know, the, the balls of light, haunted houses, or wherever they they show up everywhere. Same thing with um, in like Ben was saying, uh, a byproduct. So. Same thing with the smells. People that are abducted smell rotten smells, you know, abducted by aliens. Um, in the haunted homes, people call them poltergeists or whatever, you get the rotten smells. And then also Bigfoot, you get the rotten smells. And I, after I've done, you know, so much research on all of this, I think the smell is a, is a product of whatever is allowing these things to come through and br- interact with us. And I think the smell is a product of that and, yeah. and not necessarily coming from them. And same, like they, like Ben was saying, these orbs could be the same type of thing. Sure. sure. Well, Rick, th- thank you very much for calling in. You are indispensable. And uh, please keep us uh, posted on this, and uh, we'll see if we can't get them to fill out a questionnaire. Well, I'm just going to do it. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate the help. Oh, okay. Thank you. All right. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Why don't we... Um, uh, we got a minute or two. We're going to take our uh, bottom of the hour break uh, a little bit early, and we'll get into some of our Facebook questions. Uh, you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno, and today our special guest co-host Shane Searway for Open Lines uh, on WON 12:40 a.m. and 99.5 FM in New England's very very wet Blackstone River Valley today, and uh, we will be right back. So stick with us. Hi, this is Don Brunell inviting you to join us on the Midday Show from noon to 2 every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday with the Super Quiz, great oldies, and interesting guests. That's Midday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday from noon to 2. Hi, I'm Greg Bell, the host of When Radio Was. Hi, Marty Bill. Is that you under that blindfold? Bill, with this thing on, I can't see who I am. No, I imagine not. Can't you see anything at all under that blindfold? On a clear day, I can see the blindfold. You can. When Radio Was, shows from the past for today's imaginations. When Radio Was airs Monday through Friday right here on ON 1240 Radio at 11 a.m. and 11 p.m. 
Okay, well, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno here on WOON, 1240 AM and 99.5 FM. And a special guest co-host today, Shane Searway, all the way down from the snows of New Hampshire, to be with us uh, a little bit late, three hours late today on our slot because of our uh, the wonderful football all around us, but we're glad to be here uh, at any time. So we have uh, open lines today, and uh, why don't we take one question here from Facebook that came in. Uh, from Mark in Montreal. Oh, wow. That's some good alliteration there. Okie dokie. Well, the so, next guest, too, was, was it Lindsay from London? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well. We, we have Paul from Pittsburgh over here. <laughs> um, so Mark writes to us, uh, I have listened to the show for many years, and I think your ideas and experiences with poltergeists are really interesting. You believe that every poltergeist is a parasite, but not every parasite is a poltergeist. Uh, so I have two questions. Uh, I guess we'll start with the first one. How do you keep a parasite from turning into a poltergeist, especially if you are attached, or if you are attached to you, or if it is attached to you? Okay, um, we'll go around the around the robin here, to Shane. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, I mean, a lot of times the parasites will come in and they'll 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 start as, you know, poltergeist activity. Like, they'll start moving things around your house, if that's what we're talking about, mm. um, to, to you know, see what kind of uh, reaction you're going to have. Um, so, but typically that's brought on by, like I said, uh, an emotional state of being of the person, um, and they'll pop in, they'll start doing little things, and if they get the right kind of reaction from you, then they latch on and they, um, but, you know, they're parasite. But, but also with the poltergeist activity, too, we got to remember that people who have had a close encounter with a UFO will often experience poltergeist activity in their home for up to two weeks. I yeah. mean, it's a very common thing. So um, these this type of poltergeist can, um, when we think of poltergeist, we're thinking like, you know, the movie where in uh, these haunted houses. But that type of activity can be brought on by a few things, you know. Um, and But the, the parasite... Um, so the, let me see. <coughs> you believe that? It pulls, all right. So, um, yeah, but par- parasitic entities, um, will often, they can feed off of you without you really noticing it, but that's typically not the case. I mean, but it does yeah, happen. It depends on the species. Yeah. Actually, as, as I would say. But, uh, I wouldn't say that every poltergeist is necessarily a parasite. I mean, there are things that happen. See, again, we love to put labels on things because then we think we understand them. Mm. But there can be things that occur. Uh, the movement of objects by invisible means isn't necessarily being done by a parasite. Now, a lot of experiments right. have been done. And as far as I'm aware, I, mean, I had a little contact with some of this stuff way back. And uh, the only thing that people have been able to move with their minds, and there is such a phenomenon as that, and it's not a parasite, uh, are very light objects such as pencils. I once saw some, some psychic roll a pencil across a desk, you know, and there was no wind and everything else. But uh, I've also stood and watched refrigerators levitate and TVs and things like this uh, in situations where there were parasites, in, in my opinion. So uh, I think it, it's, it's case by case. And uh, I think the best way to keep a parasite from becoming a poltergeist is to cut off the food supply. We talk about this all the time. Ben and I call it the Peter Pan theory. You know, what did Peter Pan say? Think happy thoughts. So by extension, bring in positive energy because for some reason that seems to cut off the food supply of negative energy. And uh, it seems like lately our, our whole society is constructed to just ring the dinner bell for parasites 
uh, because uh, there's a lot of negativity and everybody's divided, and this is stuff that they love to eat, and I'm sure they push some buttons. But uh, in your own home, in your own life, in your own family, and hopefully in your own country, you'll be able to build up some positive energy, and that will keep parasites from becoming poltergeists. I mean, if that's the scenario that lays ahead. Right, yeah. And then, like... I tell people um, you have to identify because usually the person that's that's the host, you know, the one being attacked by these parasites, um, almost every single time they're in an emotional, vulnerable state, mm. and and that's what attracts these things, and that's what it, it initiates it, and that's what c- continues to feed these parasites. So um, when we do these investigations, you know, you you don't want to pry into people's lives, but um, if if you get good at doing this job, you get people to open up and share these stories with you and you're able to kind of reverse engineer what's going on with them and you're always going to find that there's something that's affecting them emotionally and and so to the whole happy thoughts thing yeah so we have to steer away from our current internal dialogue and, and put it on a more you know positive path mm. and um and these things will they just go away you know i i even liken it to like a connection between um like an emotional frequency so raise your your emotional state you raise your frequency, and it's like two different walkie-talkies on two different bandwidths that can't communicate anymore. Hmm. I like that. Yeah. yeah, and it seems to really just break break the connection. Okay, hmm. fair enough. Yeah, I think that that summed it up pretty well. Yeah, so I have nothing else to add. Yeah. All right. Uh, so there's a second part to this. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Yes, go ahead. Yes, this is actually a very good question. Uh, and second. Why isn't it possible to create a thought form like a tulpa and it becomes a parasite? I've heard you. I've heard you. Or I've, it becomes a poltergeist. I'm sorry. Uh, I've heard you talk about uh, some students that did something like that, where they created a tulpa. Yeah, that was in Canada. I can't remember the university. It was in Ontario, and they literally decided that they. It was a, a psychological exercise. They decided they would concentrate. On, they, they made up uh, a guy who had lived in. I guess it, I think it was the, the 17th century, like Shakespearean times, that kind of thing. And they decided they would make the guy up, they would concentrate on, and sure enough, an entity came through just like that guy, you know. So uh, I think maybe the point of the question might be, uh, are parapsychologists necessarily wrong when they say that a poltergeist is created by uh, a kid going through puberty and having the terrible uh, conflicts and, you know, the change that's going on. Uh, there was a, some of the Tibetan monks at one point had, and I guess they still do, will, as a spiritual exercise, create a tulpa, which is a, supposed to be a thought form. I mean, to me, I think it's a parasite that, that is responding to a chance to eat. But, you know, not necessarily. It could, they, it could actually be some sort of a, a projection of one's own personality, a contact with a facet of oneself in some other part of the multiverse, and you make a connection with that and things happen. Uh, any Anything is really possible. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's, it, some parapsychologists might have a point that there may be an agent who creates a poltergeist. Uh, I've never seen it, but Shane, what do you think? I can tell you for sure because I've done it three times. Um, oh, well, there you have it. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it, it's... When I, when, in my early 20s, when I started connecting some dots, and I said, okay, in order to cross-check what my theories are, because it seems so, seems like I got it down, you know, let me actually put those things in place and see if I can create a hunt. And so by way of doing that was creating a story and feeding it to the people that were in the environment and um, because we had other natural in, uh, elements present. 
one being uh, a river. And the first one I did it, there was a river nearby. But the, that that's always an aiding factor. I won't say the other ones because I want people out there creating the stuff. But um, mm. so um, I had these environmental factors that that helped that process. I also had people. So in one place of employment, I was a manager in an electronics company in my early uh, my mid twenties, and I had these employees working for me who. These these um, Latino Latino women, you know, who were really scared about ghosts and stuff. They they knew I did that and it freaked them out, and so they didn't want to talk about it. So they were kind of. I know this sounds mean, but everything was everything was fine. Don't no no one got hurt or or nothing. But um, I created a story. I said, hey, do you guys hear the people down the hall said that there's um there's a, the, the, somebody died here. There's a ghost and they see shadow people in the bathroom and and doors slamming and or banging on the doors and. No, 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 you know, and, and so just put that thought in their head and created this story, and that sparked their fear, which is what these parasites need, and something did come through, and it was feeding off of that, and I, I to- totally believe it was a parasite just coming in to capitalize on that situation, their attention to the subject of a possibility of an interaction, and this, this parasite jumped in, hey, they're going to pay attention to me, you know, um, their thoughts are on me, so here we go, and sure enough, before you know it, my uh the area that I managed uh we had racks being pushed over there were materials just flying through the room you would hear pounding on the door the doors would fly open people would see shadows and then the, the at the bathroom stalls the doors would shake and um and then other departments started to experience it so I had to put, you know had to put an end to it and um mm-hmm. so I did that but I I did it two more times and um in one other business and then one in a residence and it worked every single time um mm-hmm. I had the environmental um things present that I needed and I just needed a person and with a storyline and to get that into their internal dialogue, get them to pay attention to the possibility of that interaction, get them to be thinking about it all the time and that's when these parasites will pop in. And so it it does it does work. I haven't I won't do that again but Okay, I'm glad to hear it. Third time's a charm. Whatever you do, don't do it here. All right. Everybody was fine. Yeah. But that's good. But I guess you know the 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 real message is just keep it positive. It's a simple message. Not always simple to do in your situation, but keep it positive. Come together with the people you love. Tell them you love them. Don't wait. And uh, friends, whatever, have your support. That, that's, I think, the answer to all positive things in life. I suppose. It's, it's really it's, – it's a fun topic in a, in a kind of weird way. So Gnostics are weird. We know this. Um, they have a really fun idea called Archons. And archons are basically uh, creatures that exist, but you give them they, – they have the ability to be gods, but they only have the ability to be gods if you believe in them, which is yeah. which is super interesting because, I mean, what what's a tulpa, right? Yeah. Or, like, what's a thought form, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's basically creating a blueprint for making something godlike. I'm, I'm using like there because it's, you know – it. Seeming abilities that mortals do not have, and ultimately, it's the same sort of idea, right? So, I mean, we create these sort of blueprints to kind of fit a pattern that we don't quite understand, and as we as we sort of muddle our way through our, our research and kind of come up with with different conclusions, well, not different conclusions, conclusions that are are seemingly different, they're not really that different, and. It's all stuff that we've we've known ancestrally throughout all our our lives, and it's kind of rediscovering that and not mm-hmm. being distracted by the surroundings around us that are sort of forcing 
our our attentions away from what's really there. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of that's kind of my my two cents on on Tolpo's poltergeists and and whatnot. That it's it's stuff we've known about. We know that if we create a blueprint for something, something will come in, good or bad, or neutral or whatever, or something that has no morals that we understand at all. Mm-hmm. Because the only moral code we really know are the ones that we've learned ourselves. Mm-hmm. Which is why the idea of of morals kind of being the same universally and multiversally scares me. Yeah. And what if there are morals we don't know about? Mm. What if it's good, quote unquote, to to be a parasite, right? Like what in if, their own culture? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, we we as as humans see other people, other other cultures in the world we live in as oh, that's not right. You know, the morals are all off there. And it's if 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 something is so different between here and some foreign country that believes something different than us that they believe is morally correct, I mean, how different would it be in a completely different multiverse or different world? Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. That's just some, something. To think about. <laughs> no, very very true. Yeah, and and uh, uh, not to belabor this, but there have been a number of cases, of, particularly in, in my past, where I've gone to the house and the people have their scenario. <coughs> Uh, it's they know who it is who's haunting the place had to be this guy at some relative and the phenomena will will match their expectations and when i went in and said i don't believe this but everything changes so th- th- that's kind of the, and, and then uh, i look back at at uh, my conversations in, in australia in 1979 the aboriginal elder who said oh yeah well, there there's a tradition of cursing people which is why it's implied to point, because they would point the bone, as they call it, and curse. But it doesn't work unless you believe in it. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. You have but, a blueprint. Yeah, yeah. but actually, in cases of people were, you know, who were cursed by Aboriginal elders and went to the hospital and died. Oh, yeah. You know. I was doing a case, uh, or no, it wasn't a case. I was, I'm actually a self-employed remodeler. I own a business, and um, this, I was in my early 30s. And, um, or if not 30 years old, and I was in the property, and I was in the back of the house, and and I just started getting this strong feeling. You know that feeling, like this a presence near mm-hmm. you. And, and um, but it, it felt so strong, and it felt like all types of different energies mixed into one. And it, it was just overwhelming. I had to keep looking over my shoulder, over my shoulder. And there was a tree line in the back with just one little tiny pathway, and I couldn't see what went, went back there. But it felt like whatever this thing was was standing in front of this this pathway. And then I saw, in the corner of my eye, I saw something move, and I look over to the side of the house, and I see this this female in a gown and she walked she smiled at me and she walked past the, the corner of the house so i couldn't see her anymore and i ran over there and the, she was gone there was nothing there but i did make direct eye contact yeah. with her and have when i have these experience uh, no matter what they are whenever i anything supernatural my i get like this buzzy feeling in my body my whole body feels like it's buzzing and i had that going on yep so when the lady came home, I, I said, you know what, I, ha- I just have to ask you this. I said, because this was so bizarre and so strong that you must know something about this. And I, and I told her the story about the, the, the energy behind me. This felt like this just big, giant beast or something made up of all kinds of different energies and then that female. And she, the whole time I'm telling her this story, she's got her hand with her finger pointed up over her lips, you know, and she, you know, her thumb underneath her chin, and she's, she's just... Um, listening intently and then so when i i stopped talking um and this is a very classy lady nice house her husband was an engineer you know 
And um, so I said, I don't know if that sounds crazy, but I'm telling you, it was it was very, very real. She goes, why would that sound crazy if I was the one that put them there? She says, come with me. And we go down, and she, she's, she was like the high priestess of the of the east coast of the wiccan religion you know and she she brought these protectors and so through that path that that protective energy that i felt through that path was where she had an outside altar and it was there to protect and then the other one was her goddess or something like that but um, she brought them she invoked them to protect her property and i saw one of them and felt the other one and it was very very real we have protectors certainly around it's amazing some of the stuff i've seen but no, that's, uh, again, not to belabor, but I think that um, if it is another, even in that situation, uh, or if it's just someone like at, at uh, one of our ancestral homes in England, there's the gray lady that the Earl told us about who's there. Uh, I think there's some connection. Again, these things don't just happen. And when there's interaction like that, and you see, I had a case in uh, Massachusetts, in Auburn, Mass, one time many years ago, the, the the ghost of the woman looking into the baby's crib and the mother freaking out, obviously. I think they may, in these circumstances, they may see us the way we see them. How they, they, they see us uh, either that way or and think we're ghosts ourselves, or they see us as we are in their world. Otherwise, we wouldn't have made the connection if we weren't, didn't know them in their own world in some form or another. So they may... She may have looked, might have looked at you, or somebody might, some from you know across the boundary there, and see you as a relative or somebody mm. who you really are in that way. It's, it's uh, tough to get your mind around it, but okay, we'll, we'll we'll get back to that at some point. I want to get to one or two more questions here. We'll do the best we can. Yeah, we can, uh, yeah. This was just a pile of stuff here. Uh, we uh, can never neglect our good friend uh, Peter from Bogota, Colombia. Who well, writes, I didn't write in last week. I mean, come on. Oh, uh, sorry. <laughs> we got two weeks to make it. So he sent two questions. Ben? Okie dokie. So, uh, Peter writes to us. Um, let's see. In your recent interview with uh, Ron Rodemacher uh, regarding the mystery of the Macintosh stone, Ron said he was going he was going to have sensitive, sensitives attempt to read uh, attempt reading of the stone. Uh, what happened? <laughs> Excuse me. Well, apparently nothing yet, because I did contact Ron after we received his questions, and I have not heard back from him yet. Uh, he is in uh, Michigan, and there is uh, uh, was a, a proposal to take this this Macintosh stone, which is a very small carved stone, and you can go back and look at the show. Uh, it was a couple of weeks ago, but look through our podcast list and all the different podcast platforms, and you can find it. And it, it, he was going to give it to... Um, uh, some sensitives to do what is called psychometry. Now, some people can hold an object and they'll know about its history or who last other people who've held it, that kind of thing. And uh, that has not been done as far as we know yet. But there's a lot of interest in it. And thank you, Peter, for asking. We will report on it when we find out. Okay, and there's a second question from Peter. And he writes to us, uh, have you gotten reports of orbs with entities inside of them? Yeah, it's funny. We were talking about orbs. Yeah, now. If you look at the cover of Footsteps in the Attic, uh, my 2002 book, you will see an orb on the cover. And um, 
I believe didn't you take that picture, Shane? Yeah. Yeah. I was seeing This is back in the nineties. Yeah, I was seeing a flickering in the corner yeah. and that's what caught my attention. And then I kept seeing what almost looked like a face, but yeah. it was um it was coming in like it was coming it was dark up there and it kept yeah. it was coming through like the darkness and then and then it was flickering and so I, I took that photo and we got that. Yeah, so it's on the cover of the of the book. But that was a, a case right here in Winsocket, Rhode Island, uh in an old home up in the, the lovely Harris Avenue area, and the people were had the impression there was an old lady who was sharing the house with them. And in the multiverse, that's perfectly possible. And and she a very annoyed old French woman. Just well, I, I don't know what any details, but they would come down, down in the, the morning and the find ghosts. what throw me down the stairs of the ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> don't make fun of the local audience. Anyway, uh, now the, the French word order uh, they don't uh, use anyway. So down in um, in this uh, house was just a beautiful place, but they would come down in the morning and they would find the rocking chair rocking by itself. Nothing really alarming or, or parasitical or anything like that, but uh, up in the attic, uh, we were with um, our uh, one of our engineering people from University of Rhode Island, and then Shane was there. Uh, ben, you were uh, still a babe in arms, so you weren't with us yet, uh, and uh, a couple of other people, and it was quite uh, quite interesting. We felt as if something came into the room, and uh, swept, uh, you could feel the air, somebody coming in. Uh, but then the photo, it does look like an orb with a face in it mm. of an old woman, all right? Smiling uh, face. Yeah, seemingly. And um, that's entirely possible. I suppose multi- multiversally, if I heard stuff in my attic, I'd go up and see what it was, too. Uh, and maybe that was, was it. That's our interpretation. But uh, orbs, uh, sometimes there appear to be almost like the nuclei of, a, of, a, of, a, of an... Uh, of an atom or something or, or a cell. It's um, very interesting uh, what they are. I mean, Shane, what do you think? I think some of them are living things, others are not. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, even look at the, I know this is controversial, but um, the, the Santilli telescope, you know, you yeah. look at some of the captures that they're getting with that around uh, thunderstorms, um, you know, thunderclouds, I should say, and po- um, power plants. And they're getting these, also, these cell-looking things in the sky that they're capturing that you, we can't see with our own eye, but they're but they're humongous, you know. Yeah. But they seem to congregate around the, you know, places where they could probably power up, you know. I mean, yeah. why so many near thunderstorms? Why so many near power plants? Um, there's got to be something to it. Um, but, you know, we can't see them with our own eyes, so it's a different light spectrum, but they're there. Um, so very- well, Ben speculated about orbs, too, uh, byproducts or uh, living creatures of some kind. Uh, if you see them in the sky, aha, UFO, or I don't know. What yeah, do you think? Sometimes they do seem to have a... Uh, an agenda, you know? Yeah, you and I have both seen them with the naked eye, and they yeah. will act intelligently, semi-intelligently. Ball lightning does the same thing. I think it depends on, on the timeline, right? I think I think how how and when they appear depend, depends on what's going on around it, right? So as we already know, you know, the phenomena is dictated by the participants in the environment. So... I think if we look at who are the participants and what is the environment, I think that way we can kind of determine, all right, is it a living thing? Is it a byproduct? What is it? And it's, I think the problem is it's so, it's so hard to repeat and to study because it happens so quickly. That it's it's like you don't you don't have time to really process it and say, oh, okay, well, let's figure out what's going on here. It's just like, oh, it's, it's there. It's gone. Okay. Well, I think we have time maybe for one more very short one. Uh, from, <laughs> the shortest ones are always the longest uh, answer. <laughs> Carrie from Clinton, Arkansas. Okie dokie. Right where the arrow is there. But. Carrie 
Carrie from Clinton, uh, writes to us. Uh, so, are you excited about season two of Project Blue Book or what? <laughs> I'm going to be honest. No. I actually haven't even seen it. <laughs> no, it hasn't started yet. It starts in January. No, I haven't seen the first season either. Oh, you haven't? Well, uh, you know. I don't have cable, so it's. <laughs> oh, you don't? Know, okay, well, that makes that easy. All right. Um, I, I, every once in a while, there's still history on the History Channel, and in my personal opinion, this is not it. All right. Uh, we had some discussion when that first came out. I know, Shane, we, we were talking about it. So um, I was not impressed with the first one. A lot of people were not. It's, I suppose it's good science fiction stories, I suppose, as far as it goes. But I was expecting more uh, accurate history as far as the uh, uh, J. Allen Hynek and Project Blue Book, uh, his work with that. And I mean, he... docudramas are a slippery slope. Because it's, yeah, it's like, know. you know, you're I, trying I to make something impressed. interesting yeah. out of out of something that's... It is interesting, but, like, you know, you have to turn well, it into... Enter, you have to turn it just into entertainment, and that's, like, that's a dangerous yeah. line to walk. How do, you, how do you draw the line between, okay, so this is kind of cool, I like how, how this shot looks, versus this is what actually happened. Yeah. <laughs> like, how do, you, how do you draw a line there? Shane? I haven't watched this at all. So. Oh, yeah? oh, you haven't? I thought no. you, you did. No, we, right. we were talking about um, yeah. Strange Things or Stranger whatever. Things. Stranger Things. Oh, Stranger Things. Okay, well, I'm sorry. Yeah. That's the one I started well, watching. Ben's mom and I, you know, I, I, I never, I'm not a big TV fan, but she and I sat down every Tuesday night uh, back in the first season, and we watched the whole thing through, and um, I don't know, I just wasn't impressed. But Ben, uh, you went to film dramas. school. Uh, how do you... Well, I like to point this out to people at parties because it's literally the only time I ever use any of the media criticism courses I took in college. <laughs> and it's it, documentaries are you know what's you know what's weird? If I say the word documentary, what's what's the first what's the first word that comes to mind? Oh, National Geographic. Or well, no, not not exact, not what it's on, but like what what do you think of? Do you think information? Well, I think nonfiction. Right. That's the thing. So documentaries are a lie, and here's why. Every form of media starts off with a premise, and it starts off with a point of view, right? So let's use Lord of the Rings. So we view the world of Middle-earth through the eyes of Frodo in the first movie, and then through a couple of different characters' eyes through the rest of it. And we're put in a point of view of a character, and that's how we view it. And that's how good screenwriting is, where you know the point of view you're looking from, and you view the characters and how they develop from whatever point of view is given to you, right? So the thing with documentaries is they start off with a point of view, and the point of view is that of the documentarian. And Mm -hmm. if there's something that they want to prove, they will find a way to prove it, and they will cut it together in a way where you automatically start from that point of view. Yeah. So things like religious... Is is a perfect example, where um, you know the point of view of the is document. Bill Mayer. Yeah, I think yeah. so. The point of view is automatically all right. I'm an atheist. I'm not out to prove anything. I'm not out to look at evidence. I'm not out much. to make. I'm I'm out to make people look dumb. That's that's yeah. the point of view that's taken, or um, you know Gettysburg, right? So anything that's done by Ken Burns, I'm out to. I'm out for this point of view. Although he he does a pretty good job, actually, of being relatively objective, but it, it depends on your point of view. Yeah. So you're automatically set in point of view of the timeline of events. So any sort of documentary, you can pick you can pick anything, unless it's a nature documentary. 
anything that's political or cultural or has something to do with some sort of mystery or war, you're automatically put in the point of a point of view. Except unless it's a nature documentary or a I'll, I'll make that very specific. If it's an animal documentary, yeah, okay. <laughs> because even like science and stuff, you know, you're put in that point of view yeah. of how you view what you're viewing. Okay. Well, on that note, I think we better get to our announcements. Um, Shane, what's going on with you? Let's, let's start with that. Uh, not a whole lot. I'm just, uh, yeah, not a whole lot. I got nothing scheduled till next year. So yeah. I'm focusing on my neither do we actually yeah. <laughs> focusing on my business and yeah. um and hopefully get my YouTube channel kicking. I'm, uh, right now I'm just swamped with my personal business, my my job, my you know my okay. company. Mm. But we're looking to um beef okay. up my YouTube channel coming up here soon. Great. Okay. Very yes. good. Uh, yeah, we just got the word. We uh, have till four o'clock. That's when the game begins. However, uh, we will do um, as a, as the holidays begin here. Uh, we're wrapping up. We have wrapped up a 2019 lecture season. Very busy one. And as Shane said, we'll see you on the road next season. Uh, beginning with us so far with the New England Parafest in Kittery, Maine, in April, and all of our U.S. listeners, a very happy Thanksgiving this coming week. So you can also check out our books, including Behind the Paranormal, Everything You Know is Wrong, and Behind the Paranormal 2, Bigfoot, Mothman, and Monsters You've Never Heard of. And now, Dancing Past the Graveyard, Poltergeist's Parallel Worlds, and God. Uh, they're available from online retailers and in some stores, but for autographed copies, please visit the online bookstore at BehindTheParanormal.com. And uh, we have uh, finished loading all of our 2011 shows, CBS and, and uh, WON, uh, to the, the major podcast platforms. Uh, so, And we're working back to 2008 uh, because we have trouble keeping them on our own site because of uh, some kind of uh, uh, issue. With That's the, why you uh, create mirrors. <laughs> or I said, well, we'll talk about that later. Anyway, uh, you can find out uh, BehindTheParanormal.com. Find out about the show and lots of other things around us. And there's a link to our, our main uh, site there, too, NewEnglandGhosts.com. Ben, we got, what do we have coming up next week? So next week, uh, December 1st, actually, uh, we have UFOs, Does the Camera Lie? with British researcher and photo expert Jason Gleaves. Yeah, and we'll be back at our noon slot, our usual noon slot, noon to one, Eastern time uh, next week. Yes, yes, yes. So we'll leave you uh, this afternoon, and uh, I guess you probably... We got time. We got do time. we? Just All right. say the quote. <laughs> All right. A uh, quote that blends romance and the multiverse from American journalist, actress, and comedian Gabby Dunn. There had to be one universe, just this one, where we didn't end up together. Here and now, it just happens to be it. I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno. And thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey. And we will catch you. And don't you forget next. Shane Searwood. Oh, yes. And Shane Searwood. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> we'll catch you next time on Behind the Paranormal. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. W-O-O-N. Go to Cranston Stadium for high school football on ON, AM, and FM. The Division 4 title game is underway as they started before the top of the hour. Marty Crowley, Tony Gurton coming to you from Cranston Stadium, as we just alluded to. North Smithfield fumbled the opening kickoff, and now Tiverton has a first down at the Northman Mount St. Charles Co-op. 13-yard line, Tony, and not the way you want to start if you're the Northman. Marty, a big mistake on the opening kickoff. Uh, Nostra Field, uh, up man received the ball, a short kick.